And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 320 of This Old Marketing for Thursday, April 21st, 2022. And with me, as always, my good friend, my colleague, and you know, a guy who definitely isn't a poison pill, Mr. Joe Polizzi. Have you been following along? The I have been following along, yes. And and did you get a call from Elon? I mean, because apparently he's calling everybody to see if he can raise some dough. But uh, I wondered if you might have gotten a call. You know, it's so strange because I even saw the article there where, you know, he doesn't own a house. So he's still like crashing at friends' places. What an odd bird. uh, But, you know, this genius is. Yeah. He's uh, like that roommate that you had in college that never grew up, right? I mean, it's, you know, he still comes over, hangs out at your house, smokes your weed, and then leaves. And then is back again the next month to do exactly the same thing. Did you listen to, happen to listen to the Prof G podcast today, the new one? Did you I have not. get to I it? I have yet? not listened and to it. It doesn't That's matter, my, but it's just yeah. so funny. I only listened to the, the first part of it where I guess Elon had another spat with Prof G, whatever, said basically to Prof G, you don't get anything right. And Prof G comes back this morning and something about, you know, Elon, I can feel the sexual tension between you and I. There's something there. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm just like, that's nice. There you go, Scott. Yeah. Dude, he's, he, Scott's really loving this because for some reason they go to, you know, uh, Kara and his podcast, Pivot, as well as Prof G podcast for the commentary on the Elon decision or the whatever Elon is doing with, which I, I'm now feeling. The powers that be are just not going to allow this to happen, even though yeah. it, it even though it probably should. Because well, did you he hear does the, have the money? I don't know. Did you hear the debate between Prof G and the uh, the guy who runs uh, Puck? No, I didn't. Who is a former, also a former Morgan Stanley uh, uh, financial guy, and they and basically they they disagree, right? So. The, the guy from Pucks puts it in an even 50-50 sort of chance. Basically, he said, if Elon can come up with the money, and that's a big if, he said it's done. He said there's no way that the board could turn it down. Galloway's like, well, I don't think that's true. I think you could, you know, you could see a, a you know, that, you know, it's a, the, it's a, the, the prices, you know, at 50, what, a 5420 is really right around the you know the the 52 week average not the 52 week high and you know it's so there's lots of going back and forth I, you know I have in the last week I was funny I was listening to our show last week and I heard myself say I gave it a 40% chance and I think I'm I'm still right around there but I may be I, I may be, I'll be a little bit of the over instead of the under and uh, I think you're talking about that Elon buys it. That correct. That he can come up with the money, basically. You know, I think he'll come up with the money. Yeah, but I, I really see. I, I think it's going to be sold, but I think that somebody else is going to leapfrog and do it. I don't think it's. So you think you you buy the white knight? You're 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 in the white knight camp, right? Where there's a, a a unicorn that comes riding in to save the day, and basically, you know, a Google or somebody like that who comes in and and says, "We'll take it over." Absolutely. I would love to yeah. see I would love to see a strategic buyer come in because I honestly don't know what value Elon's going to make. What I right. mean because really all that Elon seems to be talking about and you correct me if I'm wrong you've been following it but he's talking about oh we want first amendment rights we want free speech. What? You want free speech right. Right. on a yeah. private social media company? Well, he's articulated site? no strategy. I mean, he's articulated zero strategy for this thing. So it's it's uh, you know it, there is nothing he's offered that would even resemble a going forward strategy. And this is where I think Galloway made a great point, where he said, you know, let's let's play this out. Elon wins, comes up with the money, buys it, takes it private. 
he said, I think it probably might be the biggest brain drain of any company ever. He said, because think about all those employees at Twitter that have been working so hard to try and build something and have been doing so on the promise of, you know, some very big reward day that now all of a sudden gets pushed out because you take the company private. They're leaving. They're, they're, they're just not going to stick around. And those are the people that actually have to make stuff work. Yeah, I, it's, it's a good point. I, I think it would be different if Elon came in with some type of vision for what the company should be. And I just haven't, nobody seems to have that. I mean, the, the only thing that, you know, as, as we're touting Galloway's podcast more than this podcast, but the only thing yeah, that Galloway right. <laughs> has really talked about is he, like, I don't know how many followers Scott Galloway has, 500,000, whatever he's got. Or a million. He he said he would pay a lot of money to keep those followers. Of course, so that's where he was. And we talked about that subscription program. He's he's basically saying Twitter needs to stop fooling around with this two ninety nine a month Twitter Blue or whatever else they're doing. And the thing with the NFT, forget all that stuff, and really go after your influencers that really want to keep their influence. Will pay a monthly or annual subscription to keep that. I'd pay. Would you pay? I I would absolutely pay. Absolutely. Yeah. Not. I wouldn't even think twice about it. So here they are fiddling around with things. We'll talk about some of the stuff in in the Netflix strategy coming up here. That's our first uh, first article. But sometimes you can't see the forest through the trees, right? They have a audience, a vibrant, well uh, paid audience right in front of them that are willing to give Twitter money that they're neglecting. Exactly. I don't understand why you just don't try. You can even, you don't even have to come out and say, here's the big thing like they normally do. Saying we're, we're, we're testing this out. Anybody over, let's say, you know, well, because I want to be part of it. So anybody over 50,000 followers can sign up for a subscript subscriber only, uh, where, you know, and, and by the way, you sign up for a subscriber only, maybe you don't, the ads don't go away right away um, because that might be technically hard, but you know, so they, that you, you basically are signing up and for that you get some subscriber management tools, you get some analytics, you get some, you know, ability to see who your people are, the, and, and the ability to get rid of bots um, and all those things to clean up your following and you're guaranteed some level of reach. Do those things, and I I would sign up in a heartbeat. Well, you know what? You don't even have to go that far, Robert. You could just whatever the equivalent of the blue check mark is. Those That's people what I'm that saying. pay, yeah, yeah. yeah, those people Basically that pay, pay and get that right. And, and right to include done. that would be you know you would, what you would do is put in identity management, right? So in other words, yes, exactly. You know, basically democratize identity management, where in order to get a you know. Because right now it is a stupidly hard thing to get a blue check mark, um, which is you know you got to show that you have a Wikipedia page or you got to show that you're you're somehow some super famous celebrity. But really, the idea is is that what you're saying with a blue check mark is that I'm me. I'm I I am this person exactly. And so you put in the same kind of identity management that you have to do to open up a Coinbase account, and that gives you your blue check mark. I'd pay for that, plus the subscriber management, plus the idea to see how many bots I have, clean it up, give me some a little more design flexibility, and it's done. It's over. I would totally pay a good amount of money every year for that because I enjoy the platform. Well, see, we, we would just solve it. If we only had enough money, we could solve this. But they're yeah. not listening to us. That is true. It's, they're They're just... They're, they're just off. And we talked about this last week. They're all distracted now. It's a big right. old distraction. That's the thing. And they're That's not the talking thing. strategy. And you're not even hearing much from Twitter's new CEO. It's almost like it doesn't exist. Well, that's the shame of this all whole thing is because now you've got, I mean, I don't know if you also saw this week, you've got Jack Dorsey saying horrible things about the other, not horrible things, but, but certainly n- nothing productive about his fellow board members um, 
And by the way, the board members own very little stock in the company. So, so you know, yeah, the board that's members weird, here, isn't it? They own. I, I saw some, and this is maybe the one thing that, if there's any positive thing that Elon Musk has brought to light with Twitter, it's the board setup, because they get paid. I think something like three hundred thousand dollars a year, for sitting on the board, but they don't have any skin in the game. Right from the that's right, which is weird. They don't use this. They don't the use the way. platform. Yeah, most yeah, of yeah. them don't use the platform, and yeah, it's strange what's going on. And it's also strange that Jack Dorsey owns literally nothing of Twitter. Stock yeah, he's like two percent. Yeah, he's two percent. Like, oh my! As a founder, that's odd. But anyway, so anyway, so you're saying to close this out, you're thinking north of forty percent. You're almost leaning fifty fifty that Elon's going to buy this uh, thing. I, you know, it's all about the money, right? It's all about can he raise the money? And I, I see great arguments on both sides of that. So I, you know, I, I, there are, there are plenty of ways for him to raise this money with friends and family. And, you know, I use that term very loosely. Um, but there are also really challenging liquidity problems that he's got that, you know, would, you know, I mean, any sane person is going to go, you know what am I getting myself into? Because for him, this is this is a play date, right? This is this is him. You know, this is literally him bunking on somebody's couch. He's got nothing to lose, really. But for someone who's not a two hundred and sixty billionaire, you know, this is real money that would be required of them, and so they've got to believe that there's a business strategy here. And so, I, you know, in other words, it's not just the same of him calling up a few friends and going, hey, chuck in a few bucks and let's go buy this thing and see what happens. True, but as we're speaking right now, Tesla results came out this morning and they just blew yeah. the doors off of profit and revenue estimates. So the stock itself mm-hmm. is now on a trillion-dollar market cap company again. It's up 6.3%. So that $240 Who? billion. Which one? Tesla, oh Tesla, oh, Tesla. So yeah. I'm so, so so he has even more money. So that two hundred forty billion dollars is probably more like three hundred billion now. Oh my god! And yeah. so I don't think getting the money is going to be a problem. I really do think that somebody's going to leapfrog. I, I would. There's it's so going to happen soon. So many I think it's going to happen soon. Yeah, it's going to happen soon. I think. That's I think the, that's why you're seeing the the lack of vocal leadership coming from Twitter right now because there's some, there's there's conversations there's happening. something working yeah there's yeah, yes. yeah, yeah you're probably right yes there's lots of conver- as soon as Elon went out with that i bet you had four ceos of other companies contact twitter and say hey if you're on the block let's do this right so they're dancing I think that's a- they're dancing with somebody else right now and Elon's going to be left out of the party that's yeah, my take that may be that that may be true. They're not taking a Tesla to the wedding. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're not going to be eating at Olive Garden. That is the other. Oh my thing God, this getting. Olive Garden thing is taking off. Like we, I know. We're, you, you and I, going to an Olive Garden is in the should, cards for sure. Yes, it absolutely is going to happen. So, all right, let's get to the rest of our show because we have other things to talk about other than our friend Elon. Um, although, you know, interesting, you know, Elon has sort of taken the place of the NFL. So, and we haven't really even talked about the USFL, which is, of course has launched in the spring. Have you watched any of that? I saw that it was on. I saw that yeah. every game takes there. place in Birmingham, Alabama. That seems seemingly, yeah. It's 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 it, a very it's 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 nice. It's nice. It's fine. I, I don't know I don't, if I don't know if if the United States has room for another football league, but it's just being marketed in the most awful, horrible, non-existent way. I just you know, if I'm not hearing about it, there's something wrong with your marketing. Like I am literally, literally, to borrow the Valley Girls uh, parlance, I am literally your target market. I and I, and if I'm not hearing about it, you are missing big. So, yeah, I, you know what I, don't, they I, I can't understand. Here's it. what they should have done. And by the way, not that I believe in this strategy because part of me thinks it's wrong, but they should have totally gone out with the with DraftKings and and MGM and Caesars and the whole thing, everything sponsored by the online gambling apps. 
and you just have all kinds of betting happen. It's like we're going to bet on everything with this thing. They could have see here's the thing, they could do both. They could they, they could have done both. They could have gone exactly like you're talking about, which is sort of the the new brand of mic'd up everybody, you know, bet on every play, you know, all those kinds of things, hyped up thing. They could have totally done that, which would not have reached me. And they could have also done, oh my God, you missed the NFL. Here is spring football uh, that would be, you know, wonderful. And here are the players and here's the storylines and here's the, you know, I mean, because what you want, what I want is the storylines, right? I want the storylines of the, you know, there's some, and there's some great ones. Jeff Fisher is coaching. I mean, look, I'm not going to get off on a rant because all the Europeans will turn the show off and all that. But there are so many great storylines of people who are playing in the USFL who are either ex-NFL or were college stars that didn't quite make it. And there's so many great storylines here that could have been exploited and, and, and created to create a bit of a mythology around the USFL and how awesome it could be. And it's just, it's just a hashtag huge fail in my mind. The, well, it's just like a content marketing strategy. What right. is the difference? Oh my what's, god. Well yeah. what's the yeah. well what's the differentiation? Like literally, why is it any different than NFL? And if it's not anything different or anything drastically different than what I can see with the NFL, I'm not going to invest additional time in this new league. So that's why, you know, you and I have talked about the Savannah Bananas minor league baseball, where they sell out all their games because that is a different experience. It yes. is a completely different experience from anything else going on in baseball. So great. We want to fly from all over the country and go to Savannah, Georgia, to see a minor league baseball team play. Let's go yeah. to USFL. What is different? Yeah, there's some great side stories. Used to be in NFL, got off the streets, you know, was working in the drugstore yesterday, now is place kicking, whatever the case is. All that stuff is there. But that's nothing different than you can already get, for the most part, in the NFL. That's a fair point, but I, but I would say combined the you know sort of the the combination of that plus access to the game and the technology and all the things that you mentioned with regards to you know the betting and all those kinds of things would make for a differentiated product uh, you know in other words you have to provide some familiar angle for me as from a marketing perspective you have to provide familiarity with a customer like that this is for you then you can introduce the differentiation of why you should stay. And I, like, I've watched a couple of these on YouTube. And I love the fact that they have everybody mic'd up, including the coaches. And you get to hear the coaches, you know, yell at the refs and what they're saying and the discussions they're having and the plays that are getting made. And it's, it's great access to the game. The helmet cam is so cool. You know, so all this technology stuff that they're introducing is really interesting for aficionados of the sport. But then, you know, anyway, we, we, we should move along. I, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see the – it's just, to me, not enough. Not If you're going to go through all this trouble, let's just think of a little, little bit more. Maybe it's football Fair for enough. non-football I, you fans. Know, right. Maybe – I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Well, I may be asking for a faster horse, right? You know what I mean? It's like the, there, there's – I, I fully cop to the fact that I may be too close to it. That I may be asking for a faster horse instead of a motor car, but but you know that so that's what I probably would have done because yeah. if you look at XFL and you look at all the things that have done, it was all a faster horse. Let's yeah. just tweak it a little bit different. I think you need to reimagine it yeah. and say here's something may, truly yeah, different. You may be right. Yeah. So, or how about right. like European football? Like there, <laughs> there you go, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> All right, what do we got? All right, what do we got? Well, we're getting late here, a late start. Well, we actually are. The show really started when we started talking about Elon. But, you know, the other stories that we'll cover here very quickly. Um, yes, of course, we have to talk about Netflix. Um, and because it, there's a real chance that the uh, Netflix losing subscribers in their quarterly earnings report represents a sea change in streaming media. So we'll talk about that because there are some implications there, certainly for marketing as well and content. Um, we'll talk a little bit about how a couple of different ideas here around content creators. Certainly Rolling Stone 
is now turning to creators as the new rock stars. Fascinating story there. Uh, game development companies are also supporting content creators, and this is really starting to provide for new opportunities for entrepreneurs. Uh, we'll talk about new forms of advertising, raising ethics questions, um, and then we'll get to our rants and raves where Joe's going to talk a little bit about how influencers are actually becoming entrepreneurs and how that represents a new vision for marketers. And I'm going to talk about web scraping, a, something there, a new uh, judicial uh, ruling has come down on web scraping and content and my take on that. So uh, a, a good full show, I think. A full we, uh, show. A, 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 f- a well-run machine you have created with this episode. I am very I, excited about these. Cornucopia. Let's a cornucopia <laughs> of media <laughs> idea. Media right, we're going to start with our ideas, first one. Yes. Yes, and it, it uh, arrives to us a courtesy of a couple of links that we'll put in the show notes, both of uh, which come from Axios, uh, which really speaks to what's going on uh, with Netflix and their announcement and the stock just completely tr- tanking, um, as well as maybe a sea change indication for streaming media. Of course, if you missed this, and it was covered just about everywhere, Netflix on Thursday said it's weighing offers uh, for a cheaper ad-supported subscription plan over the next year or two because uh, Netflix stock fell more than 20% in after-hours trading after the streaming giant said it lost 200,000 subscribers in the first quarter, uh, its first subscriber loss in a decade. On a video call with investors, Netflix chair and co-founder Reed Hastings said the streaming giant is looking at lower-priced ad-supported plans, noting that it makes a lot of sense for consumers to have that option. <laughs> yeah, he would say that. Um, after losing 200,000 subscribers, that, that starts to look a little more appealing to you. Uh, the other story that we will uh, sort of link to this, and we can just talk about all of it, is... Another Axios story, and also being covered in in a number of other uh, publications as well, is does this Netflix change in global streaming subscribers indicate a real sea change in the way that streaming media is happening? So we can see that Netflix's stock sank more than 20% uh, after the streaming giant said it lost 200,000 subscribers. But this is also starting to see other elements of maybe canaries in the coal mine of other things. CNN, by the way, had more news this week that we talked about last week, CNN minus. Now it looks completely doomed as the marketing chief has, or excuse me, the chief financial officer has been let go uh, and others look like they're going to get let go as well as Warner takes over. Uh, Netflix looking at ads and the them blaming password sharing, um, all of those kinds of things. So Taking all this into account, Mr. Polizzi, Mr. Media Man, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting. Uh, first of all, streaming, especially for Netflix, is now a mature business. It's, there's no more low-hanging fruit for these for the subscriber growth that they had. Uh, you, you don't have the start from 13, 14, 15 as more people were getting onto streaming, getting devices where they could watch streaming media. And then you don't have the pandemic anymore where everybody was at home. Now you've got regular living. And you have competition coming from everywhere. And we talked about what happened with CNN. You don't have a differentiated product. Netflix is a great product. I think what they what they invest into it is amazing. But you have a lot of other options now. HBO Max is a worthy competitor, in my opinion. Apple, even though I don't think that they, <laughs> they have enough programming on there, they have some really good shows on there as well. You've got Paramount Plus. You've got Hulu. You, I mean... How many things do you want? So I think what you're going to see in the next, I don't know, 6, 9, 12, 15 months, consolidation is on the way. So that's the one thing I think that's going to happen where you're going to have some of these streaming companies eat up each other. I don't know. What I don't know is going to happen, Robert, is you have so much spending. One of these articles said that next year Netflix was planning on – here, no, Disney – has said it plans to spend $33 billion on content this year compared to $14 billion Netflix spent last year. So whatever. Netflix is going to spend 20 Disney next year is going to spend 40 People, we, th- the audiences out there do not have enough attention time to give to all these streaming services. Like, we're not going to add 26 hours to the day. Right or, or or 28 hours in a day now where I can now consume content for another four hours. It's not going to happen. It's just not there. We only have two eyeballs. 
So I don't know what's going to happen with this whole trend. I think it's going to continue. My thing on the ad support, okay, the ad supported thing I get, I sort of. But if what this says is true, that they, they're, so Reed Hastings, the CEO, comes out and says they their subscriber loss was because of so much password sharing. And they said they're trying to fix that password sharing. If you just simply say, share passwords with all you want, it's going to be whatever, five bucks a month for sharing or whatever whatever it is, create, they, they will get their bump back up again and count that as a new subscriber, add it to the main account, share all these passwords, done and done. They said, they said 100 million people are using passwords without paying for it right now. 100 million. Yes. And by the way, they 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 they're they're getting roasted a little bit for a tweet that came out a few years ago where they were encouraging people to share passwords. So, um, you know, look, yeah, sharing it's, passwords, it's fine when you, it's fine when you're going right. subscribers at thirty percent a quarter. That's right. You know, and, and by the way, when you lose two hundred thousand subscribers, it's not password sharing. You know, you don't yes. lose accounts when you password share. Right? It, you know, growth slows. But you don't lose 200,000 accounts because guess what? Those are 200,000 passwords that are now no longer available to the people who were sharing them with their friends. So, well, you know. by the way, you got to remember Netflix, even though you might think that $15, $16 a month is valuable, it is the most expensive service. It is. Out there. It is. But the, the thing is, like, you're, you're sort of belying your own argument there, right? If you say, look, everybody's sharing their passwords with at least three other people, you know, and, and, and that's a real problem. And then you go, oh, well, you said you lost 200,000 accounts. Does that mean you actually lost 600,000 subscribers? You know, so uh, that the whole, the whole password thing is, is, is a, is a distraction. Um, but I guess I that's also, a, well, here, before you go on, I want to get your take, but we just talked about this with the football thing. If you have a right. hundred million people that are watching Netflix and not paying for it, but you're saying, the solution might be a cheaper ad-supported subscription plan. What? Right. What, like what? That makes no sense to me. It if doesn't the, make any if sense. This is you're saying this is the problem. Then why is a cheaper ad-supported subscription plan the solution? It doesn't right. make any sense to me. That's right. That's exactly right. And so the you know so that was what I was going to get to is like okay now you move that into the ad-supported space and. I'm coming around on that. I mean, when 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 we we talked about on this show when Disney announced its ad supported uh, model, we we talked about eh, that doesn't make a lot of sense because it's taking the premium out of the premium product. I'm coming around a little bit of that now after hearing a few analysts talk about this and 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 perhaps how it might the 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 challenge is. You said it well, right? With the how much time versus content there is, this was coming. We could see this we coming from coming. 10 miles away. You know, you just can't pour $140 billion into new content and expect to keep that up forever. It just doesn't work. There's not, there's, there aren't enough credit cards in the, in, in the world to support as many streaming services as we have. We, we learned this, by the way, also 30 years ago during the cable wars in the 1990s, you know, where... So many cable networks emerged during the late 80s and early 90s trying to take advantage of, you know, the ability for adding uh, incremental subscriptions to your, your cable. And what happened? We started, we started seeing bundling. And you yep. started seeing more and more bundling and aggregation and basically went from, you know, 100 different networks to ostensibly four or five different packages that you could purchase all under one company. That's coming. There's no doubt that we are going to see aggregation here in terms of the number of streaming services that are available and the amount of content that you get for your five or 10 bucks. So to me, sure, consider the, the, you know, the, the ad-supported model, if you may. And that's, that's a Band-Aid, I think, in, in general. And yeah, I, I I I now kind of buy it as a business model. It's like okay, I yeah, I could see that because there was a lot of people who were saying, well, there are people who really want Netflix but can't you know can't either literally can't afford it or think they can't afford the twenty bucks a month, and I totally buy that. 
which is, okay, you want to make a cheaper version of that available to someone, to the vast majority of people who can't or don't want to spend the 20 bucks a month. However, that is a Band-Aid because you, sit, you've, you run out of ceiling there too, right? You, you, know, you ultimately will run into a very hard ceiling very quickly in that market. Because you're basically addressing, you know, a, a your, of your total addressable market, you're addressing a very small segment that wants Netflix but can't afford the twenty bucks, and so you're going to offer an ad-supported version for that. And by the way, you're going to have a number of your twenty buck a month move to that ad-supported model because they'll tolerate it. So you're 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 going to, you know, on balance, it's just a band aid. What has to happen is that the product has to get better. And the only way the product gets better is if you add better, more, and more diverse content and you sort of take over the landscape and you have to, you know, in other words, the people that are going to win are going to steal market share from the other. It's just there's too much product in the market right now and it it has to be reduced. But I think we are at the point. I mean, when was it? Years ago. Oh, no, I guess people are now willing to pay for all this content. We're coming to a point where people have a limit. Of the of the I mean, CNN sure. is a really good example. Whether it's streaming services, whether it's pay for whatever, I mean, I can tell you firsthand with uh, with content creators and all the education that's out there from everybody with content creators, you've got a lot of people charging for content, and it's not going to work when everyone's saying, "Oh, buy this, buy this, here's this plan, this training, this." It's just not going to work. There's a limit, so that's where I'm not a big fan of the advertising based model, but. There are a lot of ad dollars out there, so when you know well, my when everyone's zigging, go ahead and zag. Uh, yeah, There's my question is, there. why does it have to be? You know, so the interesting thing to me is, why can't we explore other models? You know, why does it have to be the classic? You know, this gets to our conversation we were just having with with uh, with Twitter, right? Why does it have to be one? way that we're so used to seeing why can't we invent another sponsorship model that doesn't include 30 second interruptive based ads isn't there a way that netflix could invent a new way for corporate sponsorship of content and you know i I don't know what it is uh, but it may maybe it's literally you know this episode of Stranger Things is brought to you by Toyota, and they feature Toyota trucks in the whole. Th- I don't, you know, yeah, yeah. Basically, basically sponsored a better way to integrate. Placements. Yes, exactly. Or a just, better way to to have sponsorship within the content itself, other than a thirty second interruptive based ad in the middle of a twenty one minute episode. I don't know what we were, I was out at a. I don't know. We were out at a bar or something like that. We were watching ESPN, and ESPN was running that ticker below like they always do. But they are as a commercial. The commercials just were all the time. It was bothering me. And I'm like, just replace the stupid ticker, like with most stations. Just replace that stupid ticker with, here's your sponsor right there at the bottom. Yeah. This this half hour sponsored by Toyota Trucks. Have a little truck picture in the bottom. Run it through the whole thing. People don't care about that if they can see the content. If I would absolutely take that if I don't have to waste, you know, two minutes every 15 minutes looking at ads. What's that? What's that? It's that great line from uh, Ready Player One. But it's, uh, oh, the, know, we, we can have 157 something before. <laughs> no, they, they, before. like I, there's there's we could get to. I think it's something like 90 percent uh, ads in front of their face before they go into a seizure. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whatever yeah, it is. It's it's that. So, there you go. Yeah. Right. I'm just hoping for another model. All right. Let's uh let's move along there because this is a story that we'll definitely follow because you know, that the, the news breaking this morning was that one of the billionaire investors, you know, has now completely closed his position in Netflix. So, this may be a this may be a bigger a bigger change on the marketplace yeah. than uh, than uh, than otherwise thought of. Um, all right, next story here comes to us again, courtesy of Axios here, and it's from Rolling Stone. Uh, this 
fascinated me. Um, I did not know that they were doing this, um, and this was a really interesting uh, evolution here. The article says Rolling Stone is going to debut its inaugural creators issue on Tuesday, featuring the first in-depth profile of YouTube star Mr. Beast, who, of course, we've talked about on this show before, a social media celebrity that has never before graced the magazine's iconic cover. Uh, Why it matters, the Axio says, is the company is now fully owned by Penske Media, had its most profitable year in two decades in 2021, according to CEO Gus Wenner. Uh, Much of that turnaround is tied to a renewed investment in live events, which will be a central part of the company's new editorial focus on creators. In an interview, Wenner called the inaugural creators issue a crescendo moment for the company, which plans to invest heavily in covering creators as part of a new youth culture moving forward. In May, the outlet will host a live in-person event in L.A. sponsored by Meta that will bring together hundreds of creators. And then Wenner said Meta will often uh, open up a pipeline of online creators with whom Rolling Stone can start to build relationships. The new issue will also feature an exclusive interview with TikTok star Bella Park, 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 Porch. Porch, uh, as well as a deep dive into black creators. Uh, and it, the article goes on to explain how Rolling Stone has been making a number of moves in this space acquiring a majority stake in Las Vegas's Life is Beautiful Music Festival, uh, a 50% stake in South by Southwest, uh, and launched a live streaming partnership with Amazon-owned Twitch, and now produces five shows a week for the app. I mean, this is, I don't know how this has gone without our attention, but this is, these are huge, wonderful moves, I think, that Rolling Stone has made to become truly a relevant cultural icon again. What I mean, what do you think? It's funny, we went on a, a cruise couple months ago and they had the rolling stone pub <laughs> so they were licensing it out or whatever for uh everything around live experiences which i think is brilliant i mean you know how i feel about this i think 23 24 25 are going to be boom times for the live experiences especially as more people are going to meet online in social media they actually want to meet in real life i think it's going to be a thing uh, so get ready for that. And they're obviously ahead of the game. And the other thing I was thinking about why this whole creators thing seems to make sense for Rolling Stone. I mean, when Rolling Stone was launched, what did all the kids want to be? They want right. to be rock stars. That's right. What this do they want to love about What this. do they want to be today? They want to be creators. Yes. They want to be on YouTube. They want to be TikTok stars. So it is a natural progression for what does our youth in America want to be? I think it makes yes. perfect sense. But from a business model standpoint, I totally get the live events. And by the way, there's we talk about people paying for things. If you look at, I mean, just just look at the comedy shows coming to your area. Look at uh, some of the live sporting events. Look at those tickets are going for more money and they're going. Like people are paying for live experiences again. And it's just started. And they will pay a premium for really valuable live experiences. And Rolling Stone is really well placed. Obviously, had a great year in 21 without, with only, you know, maybe a quarter of the events that they were going to launch. When they start launching a full fledge of events in 23, 24, it's what a great business model this is. Oh, I just love it as a strategy. I just think it's, it's so important to look at this as a, as a, you know, this iconic brand completely reinventing itself around it. You said it so well, right? Which is the, the, you know, what do kids want to be? And, you know, when I was, when I was a kid, I subscribed to Rolling Stone and the thing that I wanted, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be Mick Jagger. I wanted to be Elton John. I wanted to be all the people that were, you know, Bob Dylan, the people that were on the cover of Rolling Stone. That was sort of, you know, I mean, we would, we, you would, you would cut out the picture of the, the, Rolling Stone and you would hang it up on your wall. You know what I mean? It's like that. And it's such a great transformation into this creator uh, culture. Now, the interesting thing to me will be to pair this idea, because I think there is an interesting corollary here with what we were just talking about with the glut of content, the glut of uh, product in the marketplace and the democratization of this, the creator movement here, and how those two things crash into each other at some point. Um, 
it, it, it will be really interesting to see because it this could be you know what we are seeing in Netflix and the streaming media could be a let's call it a leading maybe even bleeding edge indicator of what we may see in the creator market which is a bit of a you know a, a bit of a glut as well and it, it you know so first mover advantage is going to be a big one here right and mm-hmm. so I think it's it, it is it is for those that are anticipating this kind of move, like what Rolling Stone is doing, the the fact that they're moving this quickly into things like South by Southwest and Vegas and all those things and sort of really diversifying their portfolio of events here, I think is a really smart move because it, it could be that in a couple of years here, we're talking, we're, we're having the same conversation about content creators as we are about streaming media, that there has to be an, uh, you know, a, con- uh, a consolidation in the marketplace. The, the- you got to remember, well, actually, I don't know. Did, did you read the actual article from Rolling Stone on Mr. Beast? Did you I have not read yet. it? Okay. It actually, I have not so yet. I'll put it in the show notes. It's it's a long article, really valuable. But you got to remember, he, he's been creating content. Jimmy Donaldson, Mr. Beast, has been creating content since he was 11 years old. He's been trying to figure out the YouTube thing for over a decade and fits and starts and thousands and thousands of videos and here we are jimmy donaldson who made revenue we don't know what he made revenue of 54 million dollars last year that is the one percent of the one percenters this is very very rare most content creators who aspire to be content entrepreneurs are not making a good living there's still what they would call a side hustle um that's why you have a lot of people getting in the game to try to say hey the YouTubes, right? The the metas. They're saying we will help you. We will help drive revenue for you because before, yeah, creators one thing, and there's a whole set of experiences there that you need to know about and operations that you need to know about. But being an entrepreneur is a whole different thing. You need to know how to run a business. So Jimmy Donaldson's figured it out with Mr. Beast. Fantastic. Most creators don't do that. So you're seeing everyone run at this thing because literally almost everyone, as you point about democratization, can be a content creator, but it's very hard to take the next step into content entrepreneurship. And, and do we see – one of the questions that I, I, I ponder in this is do we see a future where the transcendent, big, iconic celebrity – doesn't exist any longer. And what I mean by that is, you know, in a world where you can create a thousand fans and make a great living, you know, just exactly to your point, right? Where, yes, there are the very special one percenters who make big bucks and the rest, you know, there's a very long tail of viable businesses that can create content and become, you know, create shows and create entertainment that can be used and reused. We're already starting to see this a little bit in the way that, you know, I mean, I I was following some of the Netflix uh, adventures this week, and I I see a lot of things saying there's a whole Netflix shows have a feel to them. There was somebody who was writing this article, I thought it was fascinating, about how Netflix movies sort of have a, you know, almost like, you know, you know how you can pick out a Hallmark movie, you know, a mm-hmm. Hallmark Channel yep. movie. It's like they just have a look and feel to them that you're like, ah, oh, that's a Hallmark movie. You know, Netflix movies are starting to develop a bit of a style, right, where it's low budget, the sort of B, C level celebrities. Hour 36 minutes long. Right, exactly. <laughs> that, you know, sort of that, that, you know, sort of that sort of idea, you know, you can sort of just identify it now and it's starting to become a thing where – you know, that sort of democratization, and we've seen it in Hollywood where big A and A-list celebrities are now doing television, quote unquote, where they would have never done television before. Um, the, you know, once you got, you know, the, 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 the thing in the 90s and the 80s and 90s with is if you made it to the movies as a celebrity, you were never going to do TV again because it was bad for your brand. And but now... That's where the work. That's where the work is. That's where the money is, and so I just wonder if that sort of spreading out ultimately results in us not caring that much about these iconic celebrities anymore, and instead we sort of see 
fashion celebrity brands sort of come and go much more quickly. Anyway, it's a bigger I know, topic I, than... Yeah, just a side note on that. I mean, I'm just looking at the way that my children engage in media. The celebrities to them are, you know, Minecraft influencers. Yeah, right. They wouldn't know, like, they wouldn't know to look at the Grammys or the Emmys because they don't know any of those people. Mm-hmm. They know. That's what I mean. Yeah, that, exa- that's exactly right happening. So it's it's funny how, yeah, the 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 celebrities of the future are going to be very, uh, very per individual. Yeah, we'll, we'll still yeah, have much them. more They'll democratized, much yes. more democratized, right? And so if you manage to become a Mr. Beast, you know where you're, where you've got a a a, a, a huge audience, you know, the 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 question is, does it become much more? Temporary, in other words, do you do you become sort of a meteoric rise and then a meteoric fall, or do they just become much fewer of them? Right, much much fewer of the big Hollywood type celebrities than we might have seen in sort of the classic heyday of the fifties and sixties and seventies of Hollywood. It's a fascinating topic. It's yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it how it plays out. But it is it is I th- I do believe in this. You know, thousand true fans or hundred true fans thing, where you know if you have, you know, you have a small loyal audience. You know, you're you have your super fans, and yeah, how many of those right. can an individual have? I don't know. Depends. So there you go. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move along here. Do you want to talk about the game development company and the content creators? Do you want to talk about the new forms of advertising? I want to talk integrity? about the new forms of advertising because I really that's what am I intrigued thought. That's what I thought. Yes, let's do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a, a story that is coming from What's New in Publishing dot com, uh, and the article, uh, the headline is: Publishers uh, say that new forms of advertising are raising questions about integrity. Uh, this sort of continuing our theme around ads and and media and all of that uh, and marketing, of course. The article opens up by saying mainstream news media outlets have in recent years begun to create advertisements that look a lot like news articles on their websites and on social media. My research, says the author, raises questions about whether this modern form of advertising might influence those outlets' real journalism. I mean, I, I don't know if this is shocking or anything, but anyway, yeah. these specific advertisements are called native advertising. Ooh, a new term. <laughs> but are also tagged as sponsored content, partner posts, or other labels consumers don't understand. They look like news articles with headlines, photos, and captions, and polished text, but they really are ads created by or on behalf of a paying advertiser. With declining revenue from traditional display advertising and classified ads, news news outlets are increasingly relying on native advertising, a sector in which U.S. spending was expected to reach $57 billion by the end of 2021. Fashion entertainment companies buy native advertising. So do corporations that produce products uh, with potentially significant environmental or health connections. I'm not sure why that's relevant to this article, but uh, you got to get some sort of environmental take in here somewhere. Basically, the article goes on to talk about some examples here from Philip Morris and from others that this uh, author finds objectionable. Um, and basically, it, it the... The point of the article is is that disappearing disclosures and sort of making it confusing for consumers. So isn't this a debate that we've had before, Joe? I mean, you know, not you and I per se, but the the world has had about native advertising. What what did you think about this? What intrigues this, you about this? Yeah, so this this article, I swear I've read this in 2013. I like <laughs> I swear this exact article has yeah. already been published. But the, I think the issue that I'm seeing here is slowly you're seeing the big media companies get really, really small in their disclosures. They're harder to find than ever before. And almost the same thing, going back to our Elon Musk conversation where he gets in trouble with, you know, people think he should get in trouble with the SEC because of his pronouncements on Twitter, but the the SEC has no teeth right now. There's There's nothing that the SEC can do that we think to Elon Musk that's going to get him scared to do anything else. It's the same thing with this. There's there's really no I mean you could you could say what you want about the different uh, you know FTC requirements and whatever. How can the FTC monitor this when it's not just media companies, it's creators, it's influencers, it's companies. Every organization on the planet is creating company or content around this. 
and very few of those are doing disclosures. So you're saying, oh, the Wall Street Journal and major media companies have to do a disclosure, but what about everybody else? And I know we've talked about it, and I know it's out there, and I know influencers are very conscious of this, but it it can't be policed. It's impossible to police this unless you have an idea. I don't. Maybe we well, just with the major uh, he, media companies, but other than that, I don't think you're going to be able. It's just out there, and people are going to have to make uh, make their own decisions over what content that they think is like quote unquote real content, paid content, fake content. We just yeah. we have to I do mean, our I own think research. The consumer has to do its the, own research, regardless of any labels we put on it. Indeed, and this is not a new thing. Just to be absolutely clear, this has been happening since the days of Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, yes. um, and you know where you know they would have a, a readout of, of a Mutual of Omaha insurance as part of the the, the mid show you know um, uh, sponsorship. It's been around, you know sponsored branded content has been around since content has been around. So. Yes. The idea isn't new here. Um, what is new is the different formats that it takes and the different levels of disclosures that you know you would expect to see. Uh, you know, personally, I, I think it's it's. I think you're right. I think the 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 real challenge here is uh, you know let the market figure this out um, and not necessarily make this a a governmental thing yeah. because I think you you can't really adjudicate this in any sort of templated way I just think that is just not going to work um, you know to, you know without without too much irony here the what's new in publishing the entire right rail is sponsored content by the way um, all of their resources are sponsored content um, which are sponsored white papers and you know and, yep. and all those kinds of things so even within the article itself, you you see access to this. But Everybody that's a really is good doing point. this. No, that's a really good point to make, and a lot of people don't realize it. You have entire organizations and creators that are sponsored that never you, you they don't have to put a description because that that they're just funded that way. It's not like the article right. is funded. Everything is funded. That's right. So that's they're right. not going. They're not disclosing those things either. It's a great point. Yeah, and that's you know that's going to be the you know that's that's the the debate right now in influencer marketing. You know, we won't have time to cover the the you know the the influencer uh, thing that we were talking about, but it's you know in, in many ways very much like a professional athlete or you know spokespeople were funded by various brands and have been forever, and you know their appearance on a talk show or their appearance. You know, in a at a public event or a speech was funded by someone else, and they happen to you know mention that particular product as something that they use, or they actually are wearing the T-shirt, or they're using the product themselves, you know, on Instagram or whatever. All of that is ostensibly native advertising at the end of the day, and so you have to start asking yourself, you know, if. Kim Kardashian wears a T-shirt from a jewelry company that you know that she's being sponsored by. Does her T-shirt have to have a big label on it that says you know sponsored content? Some people might argue yes. Some people might argue no. I I think ultimately the market has to decide here. Yeah. Well, we've talked about this before. Is what what do you do when everything has a bias to it? And it's true. Yeah. Everything does. Some of these are paid biases. Some of these are personal biases. Some of these are corporate biases. But yeah. it, it's there, yeah. So. And as and, and as it goes, it goes back to an article that I, I mean, my take on this. Let me put it that way. I'm not setting myself up to be the <laughs> the arbiter of good here, but but uh, <laughs> my take on it goes back to an uh, uh, an article I wrote. I think I wrote this uh, in 2011 or 2012, as native advertising was really sort of starting to emerge as a term. And I said basically, native advertising should be neither. And and in other words, when it's done well, if I write an article for a particular magazine, uh, the you know the the definition of native advertising is that the article is written to look like an article. And even in this, you know, what I just read in this particular thing, the article is written to look like an article that would appear in that magazine naturally. Yeah. And 
ultimately, you know, blend in that way and then be, you know, written by a product. It's like, no, 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 no. If I'm doing this successfully, I'm writing such a valuable, like I'm writing something that's better and higher quality and of more interest than something that you would normally see there because what I want to do is call attention to it. I want to, you know, I want the reader to go, where is this or why have I never seen something like this in this publication before? Who is this author and where do I find out more about them? That's what I want as a marketer. And so what I'm trying to do is actually deliver more value than you would actually see in that publication. And I want to steal that audience so that they come over That's to right. me and get more value from me. There's no and deception. So, You're right. There's no deception. There is, the greatest native advertising ever needs no deception because it's so valuable it calls attention to itself. So that's so it, it, hopefully and I and I realize I'm a little Pollyanna here. Uh, hopefully that's the that's the marketplace. That's how the marketplace will speak. Yes, you are Pollyanna because it's yes. not happening. But that's I great know, advice. That's the right advice for anyone yes. listening to this. The problem is is that content marketing people generally are not involved in native advertising purchases. Fair in enough. Media. Fair point. So yep. they don't get that. They're like, oh, we this is an ad. So let's get some ad copy. Yeah. That's how they do it. That's right. It's too bad. It's so it takes sad. us all the way back to Howard Gossage, nineteen fifties, ad executive in San Francisco, who said, People don't notice ads. They notice what interests them, and we hope it's an ad. Um, Mm. Okay. Let's move to our rants and rave section. The rants and rave section is, of course, the empirically proven favorite part of the show for all of you out there. Uh, And it is where Joe and I go off at a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like we've swallowed a poison pill, or perhaps we're trying to, I don't know, take a giant bong hit uh, before we buy Twitter. I don't know what, I don't know where I'm going with that. Anyway. Do uh, you want to go first, or shall I go first? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. It's, mine's really brief. There's an article. I, I don't think I've ever raved about an article in Adweek before. So first of all, this is a big... <laughs> That's a big momentous this is occasion a big, right This is an absolutely yeah. big deal. It's an article in Adweek. They focus on influencers and creators, and the article is titled, Influencers are Becoming Entrepreneurs and Marketers should take notes. It's a it's a fine article. It goes through some of you know different case studies going on, uh gives a little uh clearance or a little uh, love back to Emily Weiss who started Glossier and all that kind of stuff. But what I like about it is the fact that we're paying more attention now or hopefully we are paying more attention to the fact that what we mentioned before, these content creators, they're also business owners. This is a very important thing that we need to realize. And because I think in a lot of cases, you've got these content creators and the article goes into this. Content creators have been doing this for a long time. They do it with limited money. They build up their audience. And there's an opportunity for brands to come in there, partner with them, purchase those sites, do those types of things. And I think that's the thing that a lot of us forget, especially when you're a brand and you think, oh, yeah, in six months, nine months, 12 months, I can see some results from my content marketing, and then you realize that the Mr. Beast of the world did it for eight years before they had any success. You know, <laughs> you just don't realize. Yeah, that's right. And they had to figure out a business model. And you have to test that model, and then you have to figure out how do you actually run a business and pay for freelancers and do all those things. If so, there was only some place where we could learn about all of that. Oh I mean, if we God, could... I know. If there was a place where we could learn, like an event or a newsletter we could subscribe to that would that would teach so us... I have that. to say it now, because people don't know. We're still getting... Creator Economy Expo. <laughs> that's that's going to be there in two weeks. We're doing that. But yeah, that's why the tilt was See, that's native advertising. That's, that's great it's native, not native advertising. It's native advertising. It's black <laughs> advertising. I'm telling people that is exactly the reason why we started this, because I was getting so frustrated at the glamorization of influencers and the fact that nobody was focusing on, okay, how do these creators actually build a business? Because all these creators right. go out there with these ideas that they're going to make it rich right away, but they don't understand that they actually have to start a business while they do this. So Yeah. Anyway, exactly. Kudos anyway. to Emmy who wrote this. Uh, Emmy Lederman, Lederman at uh, at Adweek. So thank you, Adweek. I would like to see more of these articles, please. 
Yeah, if we can only get them to tar- start talking about content marketing. Oh, you'll never real, see we, content. You will have never see content yeah. marketing in this. <laughs> Not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got? Oh, I got I got a commentary really more than anything else. It's it, it's going to leave you with it left me anyway with more questions than answers here. Um, this is totally going under the radar. Uh, I guess with everything else going on in the world, you would, you can see why. But uh, this comes courtesy of TechCrunch, and that the article is that uh, basically the U.S. Ninth Circuit of Appeals Court has basically approved web scraping as a legal process. Um, for those of you who don't know, so web scraping is ostensibly where you automate the process of pulling content or elements of content from public-facing websites and then use it for, you know, your purposes. A great example of this might be the Wayback Machine. So if you've ever gotten, you know, value from the Wayback Machine, uh, going back in time and seeing what a website looked like, you know, five, six, ten years ago, that's web scraping at its, at its, uh, at its, at its prominence. Um, so the article basically opens up and says, you know, good news for archivists, academics, researchers, journalists who frequently use web scraping to go find out, you know, and pull information uh, from public-facing websites to use for their stories, for their research, uh, and and other types of things. The U.S. Ninth Appeals Circuit has said basically it's legal, and this all stems from a case that came from, uh, it was basically submitted to the U.S. Supreme Court um, last year, but then sent back to the Ninth Circuit for uh, for reconsideration, and it was brought by LinkedIn, um, and LinkedIn, uh, it's it had a, a case that it was basically against a, a company called HIC, H-I-Q, which was, they said, uh, the company was illegally pulling data from public-facing profiles on LinkedIn to do things like look at job retention, you know, statistics and and those kinds of things. And fascinating because there's definitely two sides to this, right? There's absolutely two sides to this coin, which is, is it okay to go scrape content from a public-facing website to use for your own business purposes. And by the way, there are plenty of software solutions out there that will enable you to do just that, which is ostensibly just automating what you could do as a human. It's just making it faster and easier for you to go pull and copy and paste uh, all, all of this you know, data that you may want to get from, from a big website. But then you go, okay, is that okay for a company like Clearview which actually downloaded millions of profile pictures off of Facebook to do things like teach its artificial intelligence thing, how to do face recognition. It starts to get a little weird, right? And so the interesting thing here is, to me, what I find interesting is the, the difference between crawling and indexing and scraping gets to be a bit of semantics. In other words... When you start thinking about this as a content creator, we often talk about how Google and other sites will often scrape content or crawl it to make it a little more business friendly, um, and then use that content to display the news article you wrote in their own interface. Is that okay? Maybe not, because that's copyright infringement. Maybe it is, we don't know. I just think there's a lot of questions here on both sides that on one side of the coin I go, yeah, I really want to be able to do this because it makes it would make silly, you know, if it was illegal to actually use website content that you got on a public facing website for your research paper. Like, I, you know, that's basically what you're doing. You're only scraping a very small snippet of it yeah. versus snipping and scraping a whole website to pull into an application that allows you to do other things with it. I don't know. I, I really don't. I, I'm. I, it's a it's a huge question for me, and I'm. I, I definitely want to follow it and get and get a little deeper into it. But it's. Uh, I think I agree with the court that says you have to not bar it from anybody. LinkedIn, by the way, is appealing again and saying that they're really disappointed in the ruling because their their terms of service for using the website says you can't do that. And so I think to myself, well, okay, that that's the right answer is is that you employ technology on your website to make it harder for the bots for automated programs to to do that 
kind of thing, or you structure your content in a way that makes it very difficult for bots to be able to do that and not humans. But then you go, okay, well, that maybe that has implications for search engine optimization. Anyway, there's a whole litany of issues here, but I just think it's really interesting and a really interesting issue to, to think about when, um, you know, when we're thinking about creating content and, and, um, and the way it's getting used by, by others in our, you know, in our sphere. It's getting so complex. It's hard to keep up. Just reading this, you're like, where is this going to go? We don't know. And I feel, you know, boy, if you're, if you're on it, and you know if you're on any site today, anything you put onto any social media site is fair game. It's yeah. going, it's already been taken by people. Yeah. So a lot of people are like, oh, my data, my data. You put anything, you just know this. You put anything out there. It's cool. Yeah. It's, I mean, from, it's open for it's open. For, and from a purely and from a purely technology, you know, because it used to be back in the day. I mean, when I say back in the day, I mean, you know, fifteen years ago. Let's call it that. It was much much harder to do this because the web was much less structured than it is today because of commonalities and and consolidation in the way that web content is managed and created. Um, you know, there are much, you know, the, the, the number of WordPress sites, for example, and the number of, you know, Adobe sites and the number, you know, so structured predictability for automating software to understand the structure of websites is becoming much, much more consolidated and easier. Let's put it that way. So it's becoming an easier thing to do to understand where the structure of things are and to pull and to do scraping in an automated fashion. So there's sort of a dueling sets of technologies here, which is highly structured, makes better search, makes it easier, makes better user experiences, but it also makes it easier for automated bots to then pull elements of your content to use for its own, you know, good purposes, research, journalism, et cetera, or nefarious purposes, pulling every profile page off of your website to do, to teach AI how to do facial recognition. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just a fascinating thing. Well, thank you for keeping us up on this side of the content <laughs> experience. Yeah. It wasn't for you. It's, oh, I really, yeah, I, I had oh, been following oh. it. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, I, 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 well, and so that, you know, it, it, thanks to Annie Schiffman, um, who, who brought it to my attention via the hashtag. So, oh, hi, um, Annie. Yeah. That's so yeah. nice. So what's uh, uh, what do you, yeah, what's going on? What do you do? Well, I got uh, you know I got uh, work to do. I got uh, work, 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 work. I got this presentation now. I have to develop for this silly little CBS show. I'm so, show. I I'm mean, so excited that you're presenting. Yeah, it I was know, a tough I got, call. I didn't know. You, know. you don't have a lot of experience <laughs> presenting, so I'm like, I'm going to yeah. take a chance on this guy who's been in the industry yeah, for 30 years now and see if we can yeah. uh, see. We, yeah, we're. I mean, and same thing. We're. Heads down, we're so excited. We're, we've got well over 300 now coming to the event. Great sponsorship support. Uh, we'll be heading to Phoenix next week, almost almost a week from today as we record this, and uh, getting ready for the big event. So hopefully, it. all I know fun. is that it's going to be hot probably. It's, it's, it's going to be fun, and I'm looking forward to that resort. And, oh, my uh, God. It's so Getting it's some time so in the pool. Awesome. Um, we have like seven pools. It's like I, a I, lot of pools. And there's yeah. an adult only only pool, so you don't have any pesky children around you. <laughs> Not that kind of adult only pool. <laughs> oh, I, see. I mean, oh, I, I don't see. know. Maybe I where see. you are. I don't know All how right. these things work. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that is it for this episode. Uh, our new little segment here at the very end to thank all of our audience contributors. Thank you so much uh, to all the audience contributors for this episode. That includes, of course, Annie Schiffman, who I just mentioned, at Annie Schiff, uh, S-C-H-I-F-F on Twitter. Go follow Annie there and get more of her good stuff. Heath Dingwell, of course, great friend and family of the show, Heath, at Heath Dingwell uh, at, uh, on Twitter. And, of course, a uh, friend and family of the show for a very long time, James Gardner at James Gardner uh, on uh, on Twitter. Go follow all three of those because they are just wonderful, wonderful people and great contributors, and we thank them for their contribution to the show. Yes, absolutely. And in the meantime, until next week, you can always go check out the show notes or dive into any of the other 319 episodes of this wonderful show. Head on over to our website at thisoldmarketing.site. Remember... All of those audience contributions, we love them on Twitter. Hashtag us up at This Old Marketing. Uh, and until we meet again next week, just remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.